0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555.
1: All right, it is 8 o'clock and actually about uh, five minutes after on a nice Sunday morning across South Texas in the Hill Country, and it's time to talk gardening. You know the number, 210-599-5555. Yes, we are broadcasting live and and local, local being here at Shades of Green once again, since uh, we're not doing much broadcasting at all from the KTSA studios these days. Got to keep that place super clean, super sanitized, so all the engineers can safely come and go and keep us on the air. Appreciate Green being in there on Sunday mornings. Had... Uh Oh, gosh, I've got great engineers between Chris and Don and, uh, you know, handle the the Saturday morning duties. And it's just a pleasure sitting here broadcasting, looking out back at <laughs> kitty cats and plants and fountains and all sorts of fun things. And anyway, hope your Sunday's off to a good choice, uh, off to a good start. Uh, give me a call. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about for the next three hours. Dr. Kirby, of course, will be in here. And join me at 11, and we'll be talking about your pet's health from that point on and uh, i don't know it's just going to be another another good day in uh, south texas and it's just (laughs) it's just so much fun being able to talk to you here and as we do every saturday and sunday morning and it looks like we're going to start with james and diane and then with max so cream go ahead and punch line number one and we will start with james good morning sir hi james uh james do you hear me now
2: i can hear you now
1: i can hear you now too good morning
2: morning how much rain do you get bob
1: i had uh over over the past 24 hours i had uh 0.71 uh the day before that i had around point four. so i'm up over an inch so i know you guys a little further east have been getting a little bit more how much have you gotten out of this little spell
3: Uh, So far, three and a half inches
1: Oh my gosh (laughs) I guess you're just living right Or, uh, you know, the good Lord's been smiling on Marion, Texas As far as the rain goes But it sure is welcome I mean, this is the time of year we need to get some moisture in the ground And get spring off to a good start I'm just hoping this chilly weather was our our Easter cold front The proverbial Easter cold front arriving a week early And uh, we can move forward into a little bit warmer spring weather now James, I hear Thank you, uh think your phone cut out on us, James. Uh call right back if you can. Uh let's see uh let's see how Margaret's doing. Uh good morning, Margaret. All right, then we will move right on to Diane. Good morning, Diane.
4: Hey Bob, how you doing?
1: Well, I'm doing well. Uh uh glad you've got a little stronger single than James did. Hopefully you'll get in a better place and call back. But what's going on in your world today?
4: I'm on an old-fashioned landline. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, as, as long as you don't have one of those things that has that little dial that spins round and round and round, then uh, I think we'll do just fine. <laughs> Not
4: that old-fashioned. Okay. Yeah. So, I, since I didn't get to put in my um, fabric pot vegetable gardens yesterday,
5: I'm uh-huh. doing that
4: today. But I started Good. thinking about two things. One, can I... Inoculate it with earthworms that I dig out of my flower beds, of course, so they would love it okay, like how many should I try to put in each one? They're two by three.
1: Oh, I would put, you know, half a dozen or a dozen in each one. They're going to get busy reproducing fairly quickly. So, uh um, you know, long, long as you get to half a dozen of them in there, you're just fine. I would add a few coffee grounds or be sure you've got some growing green in there just so they're going to find plenty of nutrition in that wonderful new soil, and you'll be all
6: set.
4: Okay, perfect. And then the second question, I think Percy might – think i have given him three new litter boxes
1: okay and, uh, <laughs> <I'm wondering laughs> that's that's a distinct possibility
4: <laughs> yeah i'm wondering if there's something i can do to help deter him because i don't think mulch will because he goes in right. the flower beds that are mulch right
1: so. um a little bit if you uh have any lava sand or even a little bit of lava rock uh, his tender little feet don't like the feel of that stuff, and that is one of the best deterrents I know of. Now, some cats are repelled by the essence of lavender, and you can try spraying that around. Um, Dr. Kirby could probably recommend, may even have a product called Feel Away. F-E-L is in feline. Feel Away. And, you know, there's some stinky stuff out there, like the liquid fence pokes make a uh, dog and cat repellent that works pretty well. And then there's always the old-fashioned uh put a little chicken wire over the top of it, at least until, well, I guess you're putting tomatoes and peppers in, so can't really do that. If you're planting seeds, you could put a layer of chicken wire on top and let them come right up through that. But uh, the first thing I'd try is a little lava gravel or a little lava sand.
4: Okay, um, I don't think I have And
1: if you don't have that, um, oh, gosh, you might run over to PAPES tomorrow and see if they've got any pecan shells. Pecan shells are another thing that uh, it makes a nice mulch on the surface that the kitty cats don't like digging around in.
4: Okay, great. Thank you so much, Robin. you all have a wonderful day.
1: Well, you do the same out there, and uh, always enjoy the opportunity to visit with you.
4: Okay, I thought of one more thing. So I just the <laughs> okay. foliar feed, it's one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, one molasses, two tablespoons seaweed to uh, a gallon.
1: That would be a good liquid spray, but I'm not going to call it a liquid feed because we really don't have any nutrient materials in there. If you want to make it a foliar feeding, you're probably going to need to add some Grow or liquid fish or no, no, one I, or the I, other.
4: I used the wrong term. That's This is the spray, the one I said. I just wanted to yeah. make sure I had the ratios right. That's to make it more like cold and heat sensitive. Or more
1: cold climate. resistant, more spider mite resistant. Yeah, I, yeah. that should yeah. do fine for you, Diane.
4: Okay, awesome. Thank you so much, Bob.
1: And you call me back if you think of another one. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Okay, goodbye. Okay, uh, next up should be Mac, and then it will be Robert. Good morning, Mac.
3: Good morning. I have uh, hope the day finds you well, and I have some information. I have some uh, questions, but I have some information.
1: Well, I look forward to both. How can I help?
3: Well, the information is, uh, a week or so ago, somebody called and said her father was having trouble getting a certain kind of onion plant, and they right. mentioned Dixondale was yep. uh, commercial only, and I wanted to offer a correction on that, but Dixondale is not commercial only
1: oh okay
3: they do sell to home gardeners and they ship all over america
1: and they will ship by the by the bunch you don't have to buy a whole crate
3: uh no you can buy they have little boxes Uh uh-huh that are about uh, half the size of a shoe box that are mailer boxes Uh uh-huh and uh you can buy just uh, a few little bunches of onions In there, and they uh, mail them. I've seen them uh, to New Hampshire.
1: Wow. Well, I appreciate knowing that, Mac. I, you know, I, I did not realize we, we of course, that's where we buy the ones we sell here at the nursery. But I had not realized that they, that they would ship small quantities, to individual. But that is very good news, uh, especially for people looking for some of those oddball varieties. And I guess Dixondale has to be one of the biggest onion suppliers in the entire country because they sure they do are. a good job of it.
3: They are the largest uh, onion plant grower in america
1: very good
3: Uh, i thought that might come in handy and with my questions i'll be real quick with them okay transplanted plants placed on rock phosphate how Uh long should they be in the ground before you put the has to grow on
1: uh at least five minutes Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah what i I do is i do is yeah, I'll plant them and just water them in with has to grow. There's there's no interaction between the has to grow and the rock phosphate. The the rock phosphate reacts with the alkaline soil. And it just turns to rock when it gets blended into the soil. It becomes totally unavailable to the plants and that 's why we put a glob of it in the bottom of the hole, so the plants can grow the roots down directly through it and get all the benefit of it but there 's no interaction between that and uh, the hasster grow the hasster grow of course provides a much wider array of nutrients so yeah i i plant my tomatoes and i'm experimenting this year i put a little direct rock phosphate underneath my peppers and my eggplant as well to see if i can see any appreciable difference but you know i will i will plant them and then i'll actually water them in with has to grow with a little bit of garrett juice added to it and uh boy that gets them off to a nice start
3: okay well that leads into my next question you mentioned about before about after the plants are in Uh, putting has to grow on every two to three weeks right and i wonder uh can has to grow ever burn plants
1: well remember that there are two has to grow formulas one is called has to grow lawn which is much higher nitrogen and then there is has to grow plant I have used has to grow plant for years and I have never burned a plant with it. I have used has to grow lawn and when I tried it on anything other than the lawn, I burned some things with it. So, um, has to grow plant. I don't think you would ever burn has to grow lawn. You have to be a little bit more careful with. And, you know, it, it, we really, I guess we need to define burn because, you know, people, people when they see the kind of seared edges and things like that that's just the term that somebody came up with oh we burn the plants but what actually that is is dehydration because what happens with the synthetic fertilizers and things that are taken up by the plant very rapidly they cause an extreme uptake of water and if that water is not available then that's when we get that burning on the edge of the leaves so it's actually the the fertilizers that we don't like uh, is that they cause a dehydration damage or a dehydration burn and uh i i have never experienced that with has to grow plant i don't use very much of the has to grow lawn i just use medina growing green or actually they make one for us it's slightly better it's what goes on in my lawn so i can't claim a lot of experience with has to grow lawn but has to grow plant no i've never had any problem at all with it
3: well can you uh feed, can you feed that uh so called uh fold I never have used it and then I'm fixing to start using it. Uh-huh. Can, can you uh feed that folderly on well, the leaves? That's
1: that's that's an excellent question. You could, but I don't recommend it. And here's the reason why. Years ago friend of mine named robert griesbach with uh usda robert's probably retired by now but we were comparing orchids from different uh, sources around the world actually and a lot of the orchids that were coming out of taiwan were solely foliar fed that's all they did was fed them with foliar feed and let me tell you they were the most beautiful plants in the world and they had the sorriest root system in the entire world and as robert said he said uh uh A plant is only going to grow as much root as it takes to support it, and if it's getting everything it needs through its leaves, it has no reason to put on a good, good, strong root system. At the same time we were looking at that, we were growing orchids commercially. We were feeding them through the roots only. And we had a root system that just was unbelievable. And consequently, our plants lasted longer, our flowers lasted longer, and we sold a heck of a lot of them. So, yes, you can fold your feed, and if you're doing it, on a not too often basis There's nothing wrong with it But if you want to get a good root system on your plants You need to put your fertilizer on the soil Just to encourage the plants To root out where they can take The, the plant and the mycorrhizal fungus Associated with its root system So that they can take it up better Does that make sense?
3: That, that makes sense And that leads yep. into my next question
1: <laughs> okay.
3: uh, Can you put Hester grow on onions?
1: Sure I do it all the okay. time,
3: okay, that answers that now. these next questions are 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 just real uh one two three
1: <laughs> okay let let me tell you one more thing, Mac, and then we'll finish up with your questions uh now Foliar spraying with things like liquid seaweed and little Garrett juice, little apple cider vinegar—that is just fine. That does not constitute feeding. By feeding, I always mean the use of a fertilizer. And I highly recommend spraying the foliage with liquid seaweed and various other things like that. But uh, actual nutrition, I put on the roots only.
3: Okay. And well, let me ask you: Is uh, Miracle Grow is that a synthetic?
1: Yes, it is, and I would stay 100% away from it.
3: Okay. Well, that answers that. Now, the question is, this next question, I planted stuff in uh, five-gallon plastic buckets, Mm -hmm. and the only complaint I have about that is those white five-gallon buckets have a tendency to uh, go to rotting and cracking pretty quick. Mm -hmm. And I wondered your opinion about using... uh, At a nursery, I have gotten some, I believe they're 12 and 15 inch uh, black plastic pots.
1: Yeah, they're they're,
3: and, uh, they're just
1: fine. The only problem with black plastic pots is in the summer months, that black absorbs heat, and your soil mm-hmm. temperatures will get up pretty hot. Um, I would recommend if you're going to do this on a regular basis, find some kind of white paint that will stick to that pot, paint it white, and the soil will stay cooler, your plants will be a lot happier.
3: Okay, that answers that. My next question is, do you have any pointers with planting uh, desert yucca
1: seeds? um, No, they uh, should sprout and grow pretty quickly. The process of pollination in a yucca is very interesting, but uh, I would just use a, uh, you know, a mixed soil mix. It drains very well and plant your seeds fairly shallow, no more than a half an inch deep, and a uh, uh, little bottom heat will certainly get them off to a faster start.
3: Okay. And I also wondered what was your, uh, excuse me, your orange oil and vinegar mix ratio for a gallon?
1: It's two ounces of orange oil to a gallon of vinegar. And then just a little squirt of dish soap, and it's applied as a foliar spray. There's no need to drench. And, back I am to have to hold you there. I've got three other people waiting. Like me, Robert, and Teresa, and Elaine, and Angel. And Robert is up first. Good morning,
6: Robert. Good morning, Bob. Thank you very much for taking my call. I got well, thank you for calling,
1: questions. sir.
6: Yeah, I got a couple of questions. I live pretty close to where you live. I live in Timberwood Park, right? And uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting uh started on the, on a the garden i've been trying to get it going but here's 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 my question to you i've got a an area that's it's full sun and it's about anywhere from 15 to 30 or or 20 to, by 40 and okay. i put those con- concrete pavers there in that area I had My when my daughter was living there i had a basketball court there right okay so i was I was thinking this, and uh, instead of kind of putting it out anywhere, this is full of sun in the middle, and I can kind of work with it what I'm uh thinking about putting is uh those uh cinder blocks and putting uh-huh. it all the way around, you know, and I want a walkway in the middle, you know, and um what do you think about that? Do you think that's a sufficient enough uh soil to to be able to to put tomatoes and you know cucumbers and you know, nothing only separate.
1: only if you're only if you're going to pull up the pavers you're going to need to pull up those concrete pavers everywhere except where okay. your walkway is um if okay. you don't pull the pavers up you're going to have to go at least 3 cinder blocks high To have enough soil. One center block would would not be enough. But, you know, that soil underneath the pavers is, it's been compacted, but it wasn't paved. So you've still been able to get some oxygen and things down into the soil. So it's compacted. But it's not bad soil. If you would pull up the pavers, uh, first thing I do is put an inch or two of compost on top of that. I would put okay. your cinder blocks around. I would fill with a good soil mix from stone and soil or somebody like that. Guess, and you're I, already. What's that?
6: There's where I go because I, I put some of that uh, manure compost on on my grass. Boy, that thing is <laughs> up, real green enough. Yeah, sir. They have good stuff but no I I, I-, I-
1: there you go. And do realize, Robert, you're going to have to make it deer-proof if it's not already deer-proof. Yes. you got to keep the deer out. because yeah. 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 But, uh, no, I, th- I think your plan's good. Just uh, pull those pavers up, put your good new soil directly on top of it, one cinder block mm-hmm. high with a pathway uh-huh. down the middle. Gosh, with a mm-hmm. garden that size, you're going to be able to grow tomatoes, peppers. Uh, this time of year, tomatoes and peppers and eggplant and beans and squash and cucumbers. It. What's that?
6: Cucumbers be fine. Yeah. Also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cucumbers do very
1: well, and in another month or so, you could plant okra if you want to have an mm-hmm. okra crop. You've got room. Yeah. Twenty by forty is a nice sized garden. Mm-hmm.
6: And let me ask you another question. Uh, what what type of uh, fencing would you recommend? Is that you see in the in front of my house, I put some real nice plants in front, and I put t- some of that chicken wire. I've got that, and I've got an, a tomato plant in, in the middle of it. You know, uh, in a big container though to see how it, it does there you know but, uh-huh. but uh, what type of fencing would you recommend on that uh if i'm on a corral and another thing i, I plan to just put some type of knitting on top also
1: okay now are you going to use the fencing just to support the vines or is this fence to keep the deer out too keep the deer out yeah uh you got to go seven and a half feet tall whatever you go seven, i seven use and a half feet. seven and a half feet i use yeah. uh uh, those welted wire cattle panels is uh, what I like building, you know, 20 by 40. Yeah, they call it cattle the panels. They call them, them...
6: the stone saw hem.
1: I don't hem. F- think so. You'd most likely have to go to strudies or uh, uh, there's a really good lumber yard up in Comfort called Bonert's Lumber Yard. Uh, but it's not the kind of thing you're going to find at Stone and Soil, not the kind of thing you're going to find at a Home Depot. It's something you're going to have to go to a real honest, uh, lumber yard for. And, uh, you, you know, around my home, uh, I use the panels that are five feet wide and I used one and a half panels. They come 20 feet long, five feet wide. I cut one in half and I just put my five foot panel up and then put half a panel on top of it. And they've been there for many, many years now. And, um, you know, the deer don't come in, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so
6: yeah. Uh, of, it, yeah I, I, I was I was thinking about putting that chicken wire, but you know, it's uh, it, I don't think it'll, it'll handle it. I, it's handling it over here in front. They haven't messed with it, but I've got. I've got the the house behind it. Sure. You know? Sure. Yeah. Uh well, yeah, you could true. go with chicken
1: wire, but uh, again, you'd have to get the eight foot wide wire, and uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of wimpy. It's going to rust out on you in three or four years, right. and if anything right. falls on it, you know, it just I I like doing a job once and knowing that it's going to be there for yeah. twenty yeah. years means, or more. Yeah.
6: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and what 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 would you recommend for for? Entryway, what what should I put there? You know, to, to go in and out. I don't want. I don't want to put something real flimsy where you know yeah. I can't go in and out. Just just uh, put any. Just put a good gate there. You know, you can get you
1: can mm-hmm. get gates of almost any size. Again, you may have to go to a real lumberyard rather than Home Depot or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, I've got a I've got a six and a half foot gate. You know, in my seven and a half foot opening, and uh, okay. I've just got a so so wire across because. Mm-hmm. Uh, i've got a wire across above the top of the gate and uh okay. you know it doesn't stop the raccoons and the possums but you're not going to stop them at all but it sure does keep mm-hmm. the deer and in my case keep the cows out too the blasted cows <laughs> mm-hmm. years ago yeah. before i took over a hundred percent operation when still sharing the place with an old uncle i remember mm-hmm. the cows got under the fence one time and man they turned a beautiful garden into a into a rodeo arena very very quickly so uh yeah that that's how I would do it robert
6: yeah let me let me ask you another quick question my neighbor's got an aerobic system you know uh-huh. and one side one side of it uh did well she's got that copper grass okay or whatever uh-huh. you call it and and um and then the other side seemed like it just went real bad and and do you think that clocks that, that you know it they that the claimant you think that's yeah that's what's causing it
1: that chlorine would sure burn it sure does burn and uh um you know especially in the sun uh i would suspect that the worst problem was in the sunnier part where the, all the chlorinated water hit it's it's hard on most of our lawn grasses i've seen these systems where people just had native grass uh you know blue stem, and all the you know, curly mesquite grasses and and some of the different uh, muley grasses doesn't seem to bother that, but I've sure seen it burn uh, the turf type grasses.
6: Let me ask you a question, not not to turn you against one of the guys that, that talks there. What do you think about that thirty one Bermuda grass that Dell sells? Have you you, you know, know? It,
1: I I haven't
6: I haven't used it, but
1: Dell's has good grass. Gosh, I've known Dell's yeah. you know for a lot of years, and just remember if you if you, you have to have full sun if you're going to grow Bermuda grass. Yeah. Yep, but everything yep. I hear about that new one is uh, it looks like it's pretty good grass. Now realize if you have Bermuda grass, you're going to have chiggers, um, and so you need to <laughs> you need to wear your insect repellent when you're walking around or rolling around in that. Mm-hmm. But uh mm-hmm. Dells are good honorable people, and they sell good products, so I- I'd have okay. no problem with getting their Bermuda okay. grass.
6: And one more other thing, this is the last one. Uh, I've got a flamingo flower and it's in the small container this neighbor gave it to us and what i want to do is put it in the bigger container what do you think about that
1: i think you'd be fine just don't go from a real small container to a big giant container if it's in a six inch pot now you might go to a 10 inch pot but i wouldn't go to a whiskey barrel okay
6: yeah okay real good I appreciate it. Thank you very much.
1: You have a good day,
6: Robert.
1: Uh, Let's talk to Teresa and see what she's up to today. Good morning, Teresa.
7: Good morning.
1: Good morning.
7: I'm calling. calling, I have called you before, and you really helped me uh, before. Now, uh, I have a friend of mine, Hector. He wants to plant spinach. Is that still good to plant, or is it ready too late?
1: Well, yes and no. You can't plant leaf spinach. You can't plant the kind of spinach that we buy in the grocery store because it's way too hot now for that kind of spinach. But there is a different kind of spinach that they call Malabar spinach, or it's also called New Zealand spinach. It's a totally different plant. It's actually a vining plant, but the leaves are very edible, and a lot of people use it just like they would use the leaf spinach, and uh, it, it needs a little fence or something to grow on, but uh, it's a great time to plant Malabar spinach, but it's too late to plant Bloomsdale and you know all of our standard leaf spinaches.
7: Okay, and then I've been reading, I believe my pepper plants and bell peppers have blight because of the, the, the black, Around the stems uh, where the stems beginning
1: mm, I, I, I You know I rarely ever see blight On pepper plants uh, I suspect they're staying too wet uh, Peppers like it Lots of sun and they like it on the dry Side and okay. um, I just I think if you just Start letting the soil dry out are Do the top of the plant still Look healthy or are they kind of falling oh, yeah. over At this point Oh top of the plants look healthy Mm -hmm. don't worry about it just uh let them get let them get dry about a knuckle deep between waterings when you water them really flood them and then uh, stick your finger in the soil let it get dry about a knuckle deep water again and you should grow beautiful peppers
7: okay and is it uh, they have also on one side of the bed is the peppers and the other side is uh, the bell peppers i do the same watering schedule for them absolutely
1: absolutely okay. remember there's no such thing as too much water but there is too often so when you water really flood them because those roots are going to go pretty deep and you want to water the soil very deeply but then don't put a drop of water on them till that soil's dry about a half an inch deep or so and uh, then flood them again you follow that routine on all your vegetables you'll never go wrong
7: okay and then one last question is in front of our house we have box hedges they've been there since 1990s uh-huh. Um, okay, and they're four feet tall, but we want to remove them and uh-huh. plant something instead of them, instead of there because they've been there since we've gotten the house. What do you suggest?
1: Uh, is it good and sunny? And
7: no shade, no shade. Oh, I'm sorry, no sun. No,
1: no, no sun at all. Um, uh-uh. There's a beautiful shrub called an akuba, a u c u b a. Uh, we've had those planted in front of our nursery here in a shady spot for 38 years and the same plants and they're still beautiful. Um, you could plant, uh, oh, many different things. Holly fern would be very pretty there. You could plant, uh, the so-called foxtail fern would grow there. Aspidistra, also known as cast iron plant, would be beautiful there. Uh, you could plant, there's a plant called the Japanese Aralia, A-R-A-L-I-A. That's gonna be a little taller plant, would do very well there. Uh, there, there are lots of good things you could plant in the, uh, in the shade. And, you know, if you're ever over our way, Teresa, so we've got a list printed out front and back, would happily, Give you that uh, lists a a long list of plants uh, of permanent shrubs. Then, if you wanted to plant something color in front of it, colorful in front of it, you could plant. There's some different salvias that grow in the shade. You probably grow shrimp plant there, or you could grow annual plants like begonias and impatiens. It's going to be some work to get those old boxwoods out, but then you can turn it I know into absolutely. I was
7: going to ask you. I mean, we're going to cut them down, doing in a process, cut them down, and then get to as much as we can as dig and get the root out.
1: Okay. Well, here's, here's one thing about doing that with plants. Don't cut them all the way to the ground or you won't have anything to grab hold of. Cut them down okay. to where they're maybe a foot tall and then you can latch onto them and, you know, pull them out. Uh, but if you cut them all the way to the ground, you're going to be really frustrated trying to pry everything up out of the ground. Oh, no. So yes. cut them back where you can work around them down to maybe a foot or 18 inches tall and then get in there with a grub and hoe and, uh, Find yourself somebody with a nice, strong back and uh, uh, reward them well <laughs> because it's going to be okay. some work.
7: Okay. Well, sounds good. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.
1: Always a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye.
8: Okay.
7: Bye-bye.
1: All right. Uh, let's go ahead and talk to, uh, I think actually in the order the calls came in, Angel came in first and then Elaine. So let's talk to Angel next. Good morning.
3: Good morning, sir. How are you doing this morning?
1: I'm doing very well. It is a beautiful morning out there. Nice temperature for working or walking or whatever and uh, I don't know. Everything's just so fresh and clean after that rain. It's it's a beautiful Sunday morning in South Texas.
3: Oh, well, good deal. Good deal. Can you hear me all right?
1: I, yeah, I hear you just
3: fine. Okay. I got a question for you. I live around Aransas Pass, Texas. Okay. Uh, I'm working in I'm working in Louisiana right now and there's a bunch of beautiful pine trees here.
1: Yes, sir. Um,
3: I would like to take some of those back home with me. Uh, I actually uh, uprooted a few of them yesterday because we've gotten so much rain. Uh, they're yeah. really easy to pull up, and I got them with the taproot. Yeah.
9: Just uh, wanted some advice.
1: Uh, plant them back where you dug them up because they're not going to do well in South Texas. Uh, you're here in the San Antonio uh, area?
3: No, I live down there around uh, around Aransas Pass.
1: Oh, okay. There are pine trees that will grow well down there, but unfortunately they are not the ones that grow in Louisiana and grow in East Texas. Pine trees you look at over there are varieties like uh, black pine, slash pine, loblolly pine. Those are trees that love that old uh, alkaline soil, or I'm sorry, that acidic soil that they have over there. And when you put them in our alkaline soil in Aransas Pass or, you know, anywhere through this area, they're just going to disappoint you. They're only going to live for a short while and never make a decent tree. There are pine trees that you can grow here. There's a tree called the halapensis pine. Uh, also called an Aleppo, A-L-E-P-P-O. You can have pine trees here, but they're very different pine trees than uh, what you're seeing over in that, uh, uh, oh, in that big bass country. I love southern Louisiana for a place to go fishing. But, uh, but those yeah. pine trees are just, you, you just, I'm afraid you would going to be wasting your time to try to grow them in Aransas Pass.
3: Well, I hate to hear that. All right. Bob. Well, Thanks I just
1: have much. to tell you the truth. I'd, I'd rather that you wouldn't put a lot of work into it and then find out they don't do well, but you can have your pine trees, but you just have to plant a pine tree like the Aleppo that's going to tolerate our alkaline soils and uh, should do fine for you, but, um, I can't tell you how many, well I'll tell you one people that, one person, one uh, group that did it successfully was the San Antonio Botanical Garden and they only brought in 150 semis of East Texas soil. To prepare an area to uh... to plant them, so you want to you want to bring about 150 semis of uh, that good old Louisiana soil. that I think they'll probably do pretty well for you in Aransas Pass. But uh, <laughs> I I think that would be a little extreme. Nobody's dumb enough to do that yeah. except the
3: government. <laughs> no, exactly. What about the oak tree from out here? Would it it same thing?
1: Um, your live oaks will do okay. Um. The live oaks that you, that you have over there used to be a a nursery not up the road from me in Premont, Texas, uh, called Storm Nursery that had some of the best live oaks I've ever seen. But the, the live oaks, you know, A tree is, the best tree you can grow is one that grew from a seed from a tree that was already in that area. Louisiana live oaks will do okay here, but they're not going to do quite as well as uh, the one that comes from a Texas seed. Now, I have to tell you, unfortunately, a lot of nurseries... Buy a lot of trees out of Louisiana. We try to stay with Texas trees, but you're, you're going to do okay. If you just want to have a, a souvenir of life in the bayous, uh, you can you can bring an oak tree over. It'll do a lot better than the pine trees will.
9: All righty, Bob. Well, thank you very much, sir. I appreciate your time.
10: Bring Elaine
1: up. Good morning, Elaine. Good morning. Good morning.
10: Uh, I've got a plant that was given to me three years ago as a birthday gift. I think the name is it of it is Anthuriums, A N T H U R I U M S.
1: Anthurium. Anthurium. Is, okay. Yes. Yeah.
10: It's been in the same pot in the same location, and has been flowering crazily. What do I need to give it a better home?
1: <laughs> it's gonna uh, If you've if you've done well with it for three years, you you are a good grower. Uh, what size pot is it in?
10: It's about a four inch maybe.
1: Okay, I would move it up to maybe a 7- or 8-inch pot, and, okay, uh, and it should it should soil? be happy in just any good, rich potting soil. Uh, it okay. likes a lot of organic material in the soil, and I don't like uh, Canadian peat moss. I'd, I'd stay away from things like that miracle Grow soil, but if you get Vortex yeah, potting that. soil or Nature's Creation soil, your Anthurium should love it.
10: Okay. The other thing is I have uh, my uh poinsettia left uh-huh. over from christmas and it's about waist high and it's uh current pot what do okay. i do with the dumb thing
1: <laughs> if you want to keep it you can either put it in a bigger pot or you can plant it in the yard are you here in san antonio
10: yeah i'm in lavernia
1: you're in lavernia okay yeah if you want to plant it in the yard um, uh, most years it'll be beautiful for you through the, uh, you know, that period from about Thanksgiving on. Some years we get an early freeze and it freezes them back. But, uh, the easiest thing to do would be to plant it in the yard and, uh, I would cut it back by maybe a third just to make it branch and fill out. If you'd rather grow it in a pot that you can move around, uh, you can certainly do that. The only real critical thing is that you Put it in an area where it never gets light at night because poinsettias turn color based on how long or how short the days are. And that's what makes them turn red right at Christmas time because that's when the days become the shortest of the year. If you put them right under a porch light or something like that, they're going to think it's still July and they're not going to color up when you want them to. But, uh, just plant it out and treat it like everything else in your yard and it should be fine.
10: Okay, I've got total shade, or I've got uh, almost total sun. Which one do I go for?
1: I'm afraid almost total sun and make it just happy.
10: Okay, and it's going to take
1: steps. You might want to you know, let it get used to it, put it where it gets half-day sun, and then move it into full sun. But long-term, prettiest ones I've ever seen are some of them on the west side of a building here in San Antonio, so full sun should be fine.
10: Now, it's been sitting on a back porch that gets sun from about – 11 o'clock on, so it's already yeah. pretty much been it's, in that situation. it's
1: ready. It's ready for the beach. <laughs> go, ahead, okay. go ahead and put it out there in full sun.
10: Okay, and last question. My onion tops all look lazy. They're laying down. Do they need something or just?
1: They've simply been beaten over by the rain and the wind. Uh, mine are the same way and, uh, not a whole lot you can do about that, but it's, you know, for the most part, uh, as you know the tops are hollow and they can bend over yeah. and still keep on growing so it doesn't really do any good to try to prop them up or anything just uh just put up with ugly plants for a while and uh by you know by june or so you should have some nice bulbs on there if you choose to harvest and use some of them as green onions you can certainly do that but uh, yeah. it's nothing that you've done or failed to do it's just mother nature decided to beat them up a little bit
10: Okay, well, I put onions, I don't know if this is true or not, but I put onions in my flower beds, and I have chickens that roam my yard, and it seems to have deterred their digging there.
1: <laughs> you know, know I've not heard anything. that, but it makes sense. They they don't it, especially it has, like onions. Yeah.
10: Yeah. It has I'm to make them totally, but it has yeah. certainly deterred them.
1: Well, I'm going to pass that along to a few other people as well, like you just did. sounds yeah. like a great plan
10: okay well thank you very much i appreciate
1: it it's my pleasure i appreciate the call lane thank you good morning mike
10: top of the morning robert and the same to you
0: sir the the rest of the day as well thank you sir um what i thought was a tomato plant it looks like it's a jalapeno plant i'm not sure is there (laughs) such a thing that you know that they, they look alike or what
1: well, tomato plant leaves are always going to be a little fuzzy, so to speak, and jalapeno plant leaves are always going to be very smooth and slick. So um, we can narrow it down. We can eliminate one or the other, depending on what the what the, what the texture of well, the leaf is.
0: Well, it's already, you know, the flower already became a, a critter plant, and, and uh, it sure as heck looked like a jalapeno. But since we don't, you know, it's from the stuff that I just threw out into my yard. Uh-huh. And we don't eat we don't eat jalapeno, so I'm trying to figure out where the heck the seed came from. If it is a jalapeno.
1: <laughs> well, uh, you slice it and taste it and you'll know pretty quickly whether it is oh, or yeah. not. You know, they're all in what we call the nightshade family. Tomatoes and peppers and eggplant are all fairly closely related, so uh they they have similar growth habits and similar needs, but uh the the leaf is gonna be very, very different as far as its texture. If you go out and rub it and has a smooth leaf, uh it it is probably some sort of pepper, if it has a rougher leaf, uh more likely a tomato could possibly be an eggplant, could possibly be what they call the tomatillo. Which is not really, uh, uh-huh. it's well, you know, all about tomatillos, but uh, yeah, <laughs> we're we're gonna have to wait and see what that fruit does before we get a definitive answer to that question, Mike.
0: Uh, but my question was going to be: Let's assume or presume that um, it is a jalapeno. How do you know when it's ready to to pick?
1: You know, peppers are; they don't really change flavor. I can't say they don't ripen because when they are fully ripe, they'll actually turn red. And, um, at oh. that point, they are still tasty. But if you're ever wanting to cook them or keep them for any length of time, once they've turned red, they lose that texture. If you, you never, never try to can a red jalapeno because it'll just be kind of mushy. It'll still taste good, but, uh, I like to catch jalapenos. If you want to know when it's full size, before it turns red, it'll start getting a little bit sort of a golden cast, a green-gold cast. At that point, it's gotten as big as it's going to get. But uh, the flavor's going to be pretty much the same, whether it's a little one or a large one. That's a great question. But uh, if you don't care for the heat, of the jalapeno you know slice it open and take a spoon and kind of scoop out the inside there's there's a membrane in there around the seeds it's called the omentum and that's where a lot of the heat is now i'll tell you from somebody that did something really stupid one time a guy that you happen to be talking to right now i was doing a bunch <laughs> of stuffed jalapenos for a party and i didn't put my uh protective gloves on and let me tell you my, it felt like my thumbs, especially, had just been—I don't know—stuck in battery acid or in a mound of fire ants. And uh, I was sitting there keeping them in ice water, trying to make that pain go away for some time. So don't, don't do what I did. If you want to scoop the insides out of them, do it with a spoon. Don't do it with your fingers. Uh, I'll tell you—it was okay. a few years ago that I did that, and I've, I've never made that mistake again.
0: Somebody suggested on the uh, <clears throat> Facebook or some place like that that um uh, you mix uh, you know do a little mix of the jalapeno with uh your your uh, gel for you know cleaning your hands and stuff like that and that way uh-huh. you quit touching your face. <laughs>
5: or
1: other sensitive parts of your body that's uh yes. you know yes. that's yes. that's uh, that's probably a pretty good thing uh you know there's an old laggy joke something to that effect only they use calvin here for the same thing i guess i i guess uh i guess, uh, I guess uh, hot peppers would be a little bit more satisfactory satisfactory substitute there
0: all right bob i appreciate you well
1: it's always a pleasure it uh I've, I've been racking my brain and I can't think of anything toxic that would look like that. So, you know, taste a small bit of it. It could be an ornamental pepper and they sure don't have a real good flavor. So, uh, uh, but I, I can't think of anything that would really be poisonous that matches that description. So, uh, um, I, I think you'd be fine to taste it. Uh, but, you know, before you do anything, you know, take and, and just crush a little bit of it between your thumb and forefinger and take uh-huh. a good whiff of it. And that's probably going to give you the best indication of what you're dealing oh, with, yeah. there, Mike. I'll right uh, right. look forward to hearing back from you what, you what you've got. All right. All right. Thank you, sir. You're sure welcome. And thank you for the call this morning. Okay. Line number two is Roy. Uh, good morning, Roy. Hey, Bob. How are you this morning? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you doing? Did you get a good rain out uh, of this
3: little system? I did had about one seventy altogether, so that's really good,
1: yeah, it's um, outstanding
3: and you know so that's great, makes you feel better when that happens
1: <laughs> my My business partner's husband says uh, he describes their ranch, he, he says where a new calf and a good rain are always welcome.
3: that's always good, you bet you bet. yeah uh Bob, my question this morning is about the toenail fungus. Now, I know yes you sir you I've heard you talk numerous times about the whole ground corn meal and everything uh My question, I guess is how much daily how often, and how long a time do you do that all of that stuff
1: well um you want to get your whole ground cornmeal, of course, Roy, and you want to moisten it you don't want to make a you don't want to have it liquid, you kind of make like you would uh, call it a paste or you know kind of a maybe a gruel you don't really want to get it to the point that it is liquidy. And um i tell you what I use because I periodically fight this stuff. I wish I could wear sandals all the time, but you don't do that in the ranching business or the nursery business. So I I fight a little of it every now and then. But I go to the grocery store and I get these loaf pans that, you know, that you bake bread in. And that's right. almost exactly the right size for my foot. So that's what I use. And I will use the same. I'll stick it in the refrigerator between uses. And I'll use it for three or four days and then make some fresh. And uh generally, the, the regimen is about an hour a day for every day for a week. Then take a couple of weeks off and then do a second round an hour a day for a week. And that normally will clear up all except the most stubborn. Uh, things it'll take a little while for, uh, for it to grow out but you'll see that new nail bed tissue starting to grow Uh occasionally it can be really really tough might take a third treatment but usually you know uh treating for two weeks separated by a week or two in between times uh you'll have the problem totally taken care of and I tell you the first day you'll be through with athlete's foot that stuff goes away very very quickly toenail fungus takes a little
11: longer Okay, real good.
3: Now I've got some bought a fifty-pound bag of the ground uh, or cornmeal gr- uh, ground cornmeal from a feed store to use in the garden uh-huh. stuff. Can I use that? Does that matter? I mean, no that's
1: pleasing. that's perfect. That's perfect yeah. stuff. You could even use corn chops uh the thing about uh, that may be a little bit more of a challenge is keeping the weevils out of a fifty pound bag because that's enough yeah. to last you for the next ten years probably um you can either store it in the freezer if you've got a big enough freezer or if you know anybody that has a bay laurel uh bay leaves, and I guess you could buy them at the grocery store. they're just so blasted expensive there. But a few fresh bay leaves mixed into it will keep the weevils out of it as well.
3: Sounds good. All right. Thank you, Bob. I certainly appreciate
1: it. It's always a pleasure visiting with you, Royce. Good to talk to you. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Goodbye. All right. Let's get Phyllis in here. Good morning, Phyllis. Hi, Phyllis.
12: Good morning, Bob. How are you?
1: I'm doing extremely well. How about yourself?
12: I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm okay. breaking. Okay. You're breaking up. Is I'm having a hard time here, but I was over at your shop yesterday and picked up three of your roses. But I forgot to ask the young man how far apart to put them. The Julia Child, Cinco de Mayo, and Joe's friend.
1: <laughs> okay, you've got three beautiful roses there. Um, do you want to see individual plants, or do you want kind of a rose hedge? Because all of them, all three of those, are going to grow to about the same size.
12: Okay, good.
1: Um, no, but my question is, do you do you want them to be individual plants, or do you want them to make kind of a hedge?
12: I want them to make just plants. I want them to just grow, but okay. I wasn't sure how, you know, their spread would be. Sure. And well, spread them, spread them
1: out about
7: – So fragrant.
1: Oh, that's the – that's we, we called it that. We actually named it that um, – Uh, in honor of Joe Tokini, who's the fellow that found that rose originally. And uh, we just call it Joe's Rose. And it is truly, I think, the most fragrant rose I have ever, ever had. But if you want to see individual plants, you're going to need to spread them about four feet apart because they're going to grow about four feet wide.
12: Okay, gotcha. And also another question on webworms. What do you use to put on your fruit trees to make sure you don't have webworms?
1: Well webworms are not usually a problem in fruit trees but uh uh to to control webworms completely in about a month or so sometime toward uh you know early to mid April you can mm-hmm. get at a good nursery you can get a, a it's a little flat card almost looks like sandpaper but it there it contains the larvae of something called Trichogramma wasp and uh okay. we just call them T-wasps because nobody can spell trick or grandma. But they're a tiny little wasp. They don't sting or anything like that. But they destroy the eggs of all types of damaging caterpillars, uh, including webworms, including the pecan nut case bearer. If you're trying to, uh, trying to control the case bearers, you probably want to put them out a little bit sooner. But you get this little card, and like I say, it looks kind of like sandpaper, but what is on that card is actually, oh, about three or four thousand moth eggs that have a little wasp larvae developing inside of them. Uh, you, you hang that out in the shade underneath the tree with a piece of monofilament line or something like that. These little wasps hatch out, and they totally destroy the eggs of the caterpillars. So you have to get them out before the caterpillars show up. But, uh, boy, it's what nobody's spraying pecan trees or, you know, even ash trees anymore. The trichogramma do such a good job, very inexpensive. You'll pay under $10 for that card, and uh, uh, they're just remarkable little things. That's how Mother Nature does it. And interestingly... They seem to go after the eggs of moths, which are the ones that have the most damaging caterpillars, and they don't seem to bother the eggs of our more colorful butterflies. So it's just kind of a win-win-win situation.
12: Okay, that sounds good. I will do that. And your shop carries these, correct?
1: We always uh, try to keep them in stock every now and then. We'll have somebody come in and buy, you know, 50 cards because they have a big orchard or something. But uh call before you make a special trip. But 99% of the time, we've got plenty of them in the refrigerator. If you're doing a big area, you put about five or six cards per acre. If you're doing a smaller area... Like one big pecan tree, I'd never put more than one card out. But um if you do it like an orchard, yeah, just kind of figure at the rate of about five cards per acre, and yeah, okay. you should be in good shape. Now, the one thing to know about that is, now some people will take a thumbtack or a nail and just attach them to the tree. But if you do that, you need to smear Vaseline all around it, because if fire ants find them, they will eat those eggs before the wasp can hatch out. The way I do it is I just use a piece of monofilament fishing line. Seems like I don't have time to use that monofilament line for what I would rather use it for, which is fishing. (laughs) But the the ants can't go up and down that. But I'll just tie a little two-fit piece of string on that like a leader and uh, tie that to the tree in a shady spot. They just wave in the breeze and the fire ants can't get after them
12: okay well the roses that i got from your shop they're going to be going up to louisiana so i feel for the young man that wanted to bring the pine trees back to texas (laughs) what part of louisiana uh north of alexandria in LaSalle parish
1: okay well if you go way up north as justin wilson used to say way up north up there around shreveport you've actually got the international rose test gardens are there in shreveport so uh louisiana is a great space place to grow roses
12: yeah, I wanted to buy the roses from here, from your shop, and take them over well,
1: there. Well, we appreciate that, and uh, you have a safe trip and a good day, and call me anytime I can help.
12: Okay, thanks so much, Bob. I appreciate You're, your help.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. So, let's hit line number three there and say good morning, Ribbon. Hey, good morning, Bob. How you doing today? I'm good, sir. How about yourself?
13: Good, good, good. Just that work, just driving around, and I appreciate all the information that you're sharing with us. And I've got two questions for you this morning. Um, okay. One would be is I'd like as much advice as you possibly can. As far as New yard New advice, uh, we've been in our home probably by a little over a year, year and a half, and it okay. seems like the weeds have been my biggest enemy. So I wish I could okay. get to that COVID nineteen in my weeds to kind of take <laughs> care of that stuff. But I, oh, I your know. your weeds are young and strong.
1: You know they're gonna they're gonna bounce back and uh, they're gonna spread seed whether whether you even know about it or not. Tell me tell me what your base grass is. Ruben is it Saint Augustine or Bermuda? What is
13: what is the principal grass you have in there? The Bermuda. I, I believe okay. it's Bermuda, Bob. I think it's what the contractors put in when we initially bought the house. Um, uh-huh. I kind of did one thing that you're probably gonna not men not I like is I actually went to one of the big box stores and I put some, I believe they call it a pre-emergent. So I don't know if that's something that would go against the organic principles and stuff, because I, I, I don't, I, something I read on Google. So uh, I just want some good advice from you. What, what can I do? I know you mentioned something about a foliage recipe that you had to take care of uh, with the orange oil and the, and and, and the vinegar. Okay. Okay, well, let me, let me give you New Yard
1: 101 and kind of Weed 101. Uh, is your yard really sunny? Yes, it is. Okay, then Bermuda's a good choice on grass. Here's what happens in the early spring, Ruben. Your, your weeds start growing. Bermuda is the last grass to, uh, you know, to begin growing in the spring. It's, in fact, the Bermuda's barely started to grow now. Uh, St. Augustine's a different story. It starts out much earlier. But what's going to happen to you every year is that your weeds are going to have about a two month head start or a three month head start. So uh, until you get your Bermuda so thick and lush that the weeds can't compete, uh, you're going to be looking at weeds every year and i mean this you're talking my yard now (laughs) it's exactly what it looks like and all i do is i just mow frequently at this time of year Uh and i know that my bermuda is going to take over now i do not like the synthetic fertilizers they sell at the box stores and i hate the weed and feed products they're cancer causers they'll give your dogs and your kids cancer when they absorb it through their feet i just they're just something i don't approve of now Early in the spring, and uh, this could probably actually go all the way up into March because your Bermuda is always going to freeze back, it's always going to turn brown in the winter months, when those weeds first emerge and come out, and that's going to start in January. Dandelions, henbit, uh, what we call Texas winter grass, some people call it crabgrass, all of those things are going to start coming out in January and into February. At that point, you can make yourself a mixture of orange oil and vinegar. Vinegar, just a okay. gallon of vinegar, two ounces of orange oil, a little squirt of dish soap, and you just go out and spray your yard, and because since the Bermuda grass is brown, the vinegar mix doesn't hurt your Bermuda grass, but it'll kill those weeds overnight. I I had to spray a new rock patio that I put in recently. Oh, gosh, I did okay. this about uh 10 days ago, sprayed one afternoon, and the next morning those weeds were dead. They were gray, and two days later they totally rotted away. So uh it's probably a little late to do that now because your Bermuda grass has already started to green up. But we don't need nuclear weapons on this. What you really need to do is just mow it fairly low. Um, I would put on a good organic fertilizer. Uh, Medina makes a good one called Growin Green. Maestro Grow makes a good one called Texas Tea. Nature's Creation makes one they call Premium Long Food. These are all organic products that build the soil rather than break it down like your synthetic products do. And, um, you know, you're going to be amazed. Six weeks from now you're going to have an absolutely beautiful yard, and the weeds are all going to die out with the heat. If you wanted to do one more thing, which is very laborious, but one of the best things that you can do is to get a load of uh, just good manure compost, get that certified organic compost from stone and soil or from New Earth, put about a half an inch of that on, and let me tell you, nothing stops the weeds like that does. Uh, I've got a portion of my yard That we use for croquet cord And I mean the sticker burrs Had gotten so bad in there Even the dogs wouldn't try to walk into it And all I did I put down some fertilizer I put down a quarter to half an inch of compost over it And the next spring Or the next summer I think I pulled four sticker burrs the whole year So that's you know, that's, that's a lot of work. And unless you've got some nice, strong teenagers, it, it may be more than you want to do at this point. Cause relatively new home, I'm sure you've got plenty of projects, but most important thing you do now is just mow it off low, put some good organic fertilizer on it. Your Bermuda grass is the second strongest grass in the world. St. Augustine's stronger. St. Augustine will choke out Bermuda. But when Bermuda is healthy and growing, it will choke out every weed in the book. So let's don't spend a huge amount of money and let's don't go to the toxic stuff. Uh, Just a lot more and good fertilizer is all you need.
13: What about overseeding around this time? Would you recommend that, or is it not mature enough to to do any overseeding? You could do that if you wanted
1: to, but I think you're wasting your money. Uh, Bermuda grass grows. I mean, when Bermuda grass starts to grow, I've seen Bermuda grass runners go two feet long in a week's time. So unless you've got huge areas of your yard with no grass, um, the Bermuda from the surrounding area. You give it a little good nutrient, and uh, it's going to spread and take over. Now, if you want to overseed, if you want to plant some more Bermuda grass, you need to wait till it gets hot. I don't usually recommend okay. planting Bermuda grass till about May. Uh, you can figure Mother's Day if you need a, a good day to remember. But um I I wouldn't do anything till around Mother's Day. And then I would go out and look and see how your Bermuda grass looks. If you feel like you need to add a little bit more, yeah, put your seed out at that time. But I think you're really going to be surprised because once that Bermuda starts going, you provide it with some water, you provide it with some nutrient, and it's going to conquer the world.
13: Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much for that advice. My second question, Bob, would be this. Is, and I'm going to call them third generation oak trees. Um, the original oak tree was at my grandma's house. My dad, from a small little sapling, found, I guess, an acorn or something growing, brought it uh-huh. to my house. My my recent house we recently sold, it's about maybe 15, 20 feet high. So it started to throw a bunch of, and I'm going to call them the Walt Disney World perfect acorns that you see <laughs> on the uh, Chippendale cartoons. Yeah. I yeah. got a. I got a bunch of those, and I ended up putting them some soil, soaked them in some water. Now I've got at least 15 of those little trees going. But I've okay. got them in one-gallon um, con- uh, potting pots. Yeah. How long yeah. can I keep them in there before they start to not grow as well? Because I, I don't want to put them in the ground. I actually put a couple in the ground because that's uh-huh. what I did with the last house. So I figured let me just you know practice what I did before. But – how sure. long can I keep a small tree like that in, how, how, in a small pot? How tall are they now, Ruben? They're probably anywhere from about a good four to six inches each, roughly. Okay, okay. Well, if you
1: if you do one thing, you could let them get as high as 18 inches to 24 inches high before you, you move them to a digger, bigger pot. But here's the danger of getting a big tree in a small pot – Because, you know, imagine think of a root as a noose. And the roots on that tree, when they hit the edge of the pot, they're going to start going around in circles. And those roots over the next, you know, years, those roots are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And if they have grown in a circle and wrapped around the trunk, it's eventually going to be a noose around the trunk of that tree, and it can actually kill the tree by strangling the trunk of the tree. So, if and whenever you move them into a bigger pot, what you need to do is take your pruning shears or whatever and just go down one edge of that root ball and cut every root. Uh, I use a sheetrock knife is what I use, a box cutter, I think they sometimes call them. But, um, whenever I take a any, pretty much any plant out of a pot, uh, especially a tree. I'm going to split the root ball down one side because I want to be sure I don't have a noose that's going to choke that trunk in the long term. And okay. the bigger you let the tree get in that small pot, the more likely it is you're going to have those. We call them girdling roots. The, the more you're going to have, but you can let, I, I, by the time they're 18 inches tall, I'd sure be going at least into a five gallon container, if not into the ground with them. But, uh, really at any size, I think it's a good plan just to split that root ball down the side and that way you never have to worry about it strangling itself does that make sense
13: yes sir it does definitely definitely well thank you so much bob i appreciate your time and all
1: the information well you share those uh congratulations on your new home first of all but you share those uh, sounds like those trees are something really special so you be sure everybody in your family's got one to uh plant in their own home when they get to that point but you're doing good stuff and uh, call me anytime i can answer questions for you
14: thank you bob take care good morning kenny Good morning Mr. Western. and happy uh, uh Palm Sunday to you. I got a couple questions about facts and myths. <laughs> okay. Yes, uh one of the deal is I I, I I I have rock uh driveway, alleyways and back to the barns and I spray about twice a year eighteen gallons of brand X. Okay. Uh we and what is the best way for that much That I'm spraying to uh, take care Of what I have with the problem With the weeds growing up through the rocks
1: Well you know first of all I would be spraying with vinegar And orange oil because it's not as Toxic as most everything else And it'll kill the weeds almost instantly If you elect To use a more toxic product You know realize it can affect tree roots And everything else but the best way To clean it up you know, after you've sprayed it is with molasses. Um, now there's some really bad stuff out there, but it's, it's, you know, it's more to kill broadleaves like picloram and P plus D and Grazon. Uh, that stuff, nothing cleans up. It stays in the environment for years, but, uh, most of the other, even the ones that, <laughs> that I don't approve of. Um, bacteria, especially will break it down. And your best bacterial stimulant in the world is going to be sugar. And, you know, cheapest, cheapest source of sugar is just good old feed gray molasses. I don't know about you. I have lick feeders out for my cattle. And when I need molasses for whatever purpose, I can just, uh, leave a couple extra jugs out. And, uh, my guy, Skylar Kemp, who comes around and fills my la- molasses feeders, you know, he'll fill my, he'll fill my jugs with molasses. and Spraying that out at the rate of about uh, one to two tablespoons per gallon, that's going to clean up any residue left behind in your rock driveways.
14: Oh, okay. Okay, great. Uh, Next question is, we have uh, about seven uh, live oaks uh, and red oaks around our properties. Uh I was always always told to cut up those leaves, and we used to have when we moved here good St. Augustine and and, and Bermuda grass. But now, uh, I found out by leaving all those oak leaves on it, it uh, had and cutting them up, it has killed them, the um, the grass under these trees, where now we have just mud, what would you suggest as grass? Well, or should, I keep, or should I keep or should I keep cutting the uh, the leaves up? Well, it's not
1: the leaves that cause the problem. It's the lack of light. And this is this is the downside of having big, beautiful trees is that they make it so shady underneath that your Bermuda grass absolutely will not grow. And even St. Augustine, which is our most shade-tolerant grass, um, it can get too shady for the St. Augustine. So that's your enemy. The, the leaves are actually helping. Old Malcolm Beck ex- was explaining to me years ago that that's what the trees do. They got roots way down deep into the ground that take up those minerals that the grass roots will never get to. The tree takes them up, puts them in the leaves, and then dumps the leaves back on the surface of the soil. So chopping them up. Now you can spray those down with molasses and they'll break down a whole lot faster. But I think your real problem there is just it's gotten so shady under the trees that it's going to be hard to grow anything, um, you're, if you, if you want a grass, uh, your two best choices, they're both St. Augustine grasses. One of them is called Palmetto. The other one is called Delmar, D-E-L-M-A-R, and those are our two most shade-tolerant grasses. Now, other thing about St. Augustine, you have to water it. If you don't water it and it gets really dry, it will flat die. Bermuda grass turns brown and then comes back again. Bermuda grass will not do it all in the shade. So if you want a grass under there, I would go with either Palmetto or Delmar St. Augustine, but remember, when we get in that hot, dry Texas summer, you're going to have to water it once a week if you want to keep it alive. Uh, other options, um, you know, if you, want to just take care of the mud uh you can just use mulch you can just use really shredded tree trimmings if you know a tree trimmer or next time you see the power company out there clearing the lines just tell them you instead of taking that chipper and paying to get rid of the chips tell them just to dump a load of chips uh, out there for you and use your tractor and you just come spread chips under under the trees and that mulch will be a whole lot nicer to walk on and, and it'll certainly take care of the mud problem if you want something that really looks pretty Then you can grow a ground cover like English ivy or Asiatic jasmine. Those things will do beautifully in the shade, and uh, they certainly don't take as much water as grass. Uh, some people, depending on where you live, they worry about having snakes. And yeah, I, it's, it's more likely that, that you'll have the occasional snake out in ground cover than you would in just mulch. And if you want just a, a good walking surface and don't want to fool with the mulch, you can get something like decayed granite. That's what we've actually made our parking lot out of here at Shades of Green. And, uh, it pretty much eliminates the mud. And, uh, it's just, it's a nice surface. The dogs can run on it. You can walk on it. If you, um, you know, it, it just makes a nice, a nice surface on there that still won't bother the roots of your trees. So you got a lot of choices, but unfortunately you're dealing with a lot of shade. The other thing you could do is, you know, trim those trees up really thin them out. And I don't recommend that. I, I want, you know, trees, the reason they have big, beautiful limbs down low to the ground is to shade the ground to keep the ground cooler. And uh that helps the roots of the trees. So that's why, you know, oaks and pecans and cypress and all these trees, that's why they put out all these big limbs real close to the ground is they want it shady underneath for the benefit of their roots. So um kinda of the choice is yours and uh that's that's the that's the problem you're fighting is really too much shade.
14: Yeah, we 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 keep them trimmed, you know, canopied and all that, you know. But yeah, well, this this is great information. And let me chew on this a little bit and figure out what a, what my next option
1: is. And you know where to find me if you have more questions. Always happy to talk to you. All
14: right, thank you, Mr. Webster. Bye bye.
1: Oh, uh, just remember now, Mr. Webster was my father. I'm Bob, and I look forward to helping you anytime, Kenny. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Bye bye. All right, let's see what Judy's up to. Uh, good morning, Judy. Hey, good morning, Bob. Good morning.
11: Um, I'm calling for my niece in Malibu who has a okay. Meyer lemon tree with scale. Okay. And she'd like to know what she can do to um, fix that.
1: Okay. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, Malibu is such a wonderful climate. We're talking uh, California, I presume. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm jealous. Gotta love that part of the Me California too. coast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could afford to live there but uh anyway um how big is this lemon tree
11: um she says it's about 15 years old now they have okay. to keep it trimmed um because of the view they can't block the view sure. of you know, anybody else so sure um, um
1: her best bet and uh is probably what is called neem it's spelled n e e m mm-hmm. it is a uh it's a yeah. natural Um, uh, insecticide. It is a little systemic, but it is safe for people. It's not going to hurt people at all. And it's one of the best things you can use against scale. Her other option would be something called Spinosad, S-P-I-N-O, Spinosad soap. And uh either one of those things should take care of the scale. Now, it's probably going to take more than one spraying because when that scale is mature, it puts a shell over itself. And it's very hard to get anything through that to kill the scale insect underneath. But you spray two or three times to kill the young scale as they emerge. We call them the crawlers. And um, you can very definitely get it under control. The uh, the problem with scale is dead scale looks just like live scale, and she will know that she has controlled it when she sees stop seeing that small. Kind of a yellowish uh, little flat scale when the scale 's mature it 's probably brown and has kind of a hard shell over it. The little mm-hmm. young ones are kind of beige yellowish, and the only way she 's really going to know she 's gotten rid of it is when she stops seeing the young ones. The uh, brown ones will get kind of crispy when you touch them, so you know there 's several different ways to to tell when they 're dead it now. Is. Yeah, if she chooses to use the neem oil, it's made from a brazilian tree by the way. Yeah, I've used that uh, before. Okay. The the problem with neem is it has a very short shelf life. If you right. don't use it up in 6 months, throw it out and buy fresh. So if she's got some sitting on the garden shelf, it's probably too old. She's probably going to have to buy fresh. The spinosad has a longer shelf life and um Spinosad might take one extra spraying because it doesn't have any systemic properties, but either one of those are going to take care of her scale problem.
11: So let me ask you something. On the neem oil, what would be the mixture?
1: Mm -hmm. It would depend on the brand that she gets, and what she gets in California may be a little bit different than what we have on our shelves. Typically, it's about an ounce per gallon, but tell her always to read the instructions on the brand that she buys.
11: Okay, and then now the Spinshead soap, I know when it first came out, it was just in a, you know, like a one-quart spray bottle. Have Uh they come out with a concentrate yet? Yes,
1: yes, it is available as a concentrate now.
11: What what brand do you, do you carry? So she may be able to like get it on Amazon or something. Hmm. I want to say it's
1: uh, oh golly, like Natural. Um, it, it's a Fertile product, but it's one of their one of their brands with a different name, and it's like uh-huh. Natural Guard, I think, is the name of it.
11: Okay, all right, okay. And one other thing, I stopped off at your place the other day to get some beneficial nematodes, and I love the curb service.
1: well we're happy to provide it and i'm telling everybody this is a probably a year you're going to have to put the nematodes out because i don't think i've ever seen as many june bugs as early as we are this year and i'm seeing a lot of people with a lot of flea problems early so you you did a very good thing on uh, doing that tell your daughter one other thing about that fruit tree and about the scale
11: okay um
1: tell her to be sure she controls any ants that are in the yard around it because ants, the scale, the young scale produce a sugary excrement that the ants love to eat. And the ants will actually carry the baby scale around and put it on plants like citrus and then so they can come back and then eat the excrement that they leave behind. If you don't have ants, you're probably not going to have scale. And so uh controlling the ants is, is pretty important along with controlling the scale.
11: And so like I just d- decimated the fire ant mound with orange oil and water and uh-huh. they're yeah. gone, you know.
1: Well, and they they've got some different ants in California but yeah, the orange sure. oil yeah, orange oil should work very well on them as well.
11: Okay. Well, thank you so much Bob. Appreciate your help as always.
1: And I'm trying to remember the name of that little Italian restaurant that's uh, there on the main street, going through Malibu. Just uh, next time you go out to visit, you know, stop, stop and have a a drink and a dinner there because uh, it's just is one of the one of the prettiest places uh, in this country, I think.
11: Uh, I'll ask her about it. Okay, <laughs> very
1: good, Judy. Thank you Thank so much. You. Certainly. Goodbye. We can talk to Amy and James and Donna and Kim. Amy is up first. Good morning, Amy.
5: Uh, good morning, Bob. How are you?
1: I'm great. How are you today?
5: I'm very well, thank you. Well, good. I kinda wish I would have heard the um the gentleman who called in about the Bermuda grass. If right. I had if I had gotten that information before I planted online just this past couple of days, I probably would have saved myself a lot of work. <laughs> so I'm hoping it'll grow.
1: But, oh. um, did you plant seed or did you plant sod? I did seed. You better pray for hot weather, and uh, if you don't have good germination, I mean Bermuda seed is pretty cheap. Uh, mm-hmm. If when Mother's Day rolls around, if you're not seeing good germination on your seed, assuming that it's gotten warm by then, plant some more, because Bermuda's okay. just a hot weather grass seed. But the good news is it's it's not really expensive. So if you have to put out a little bit more, it's not the end of the world.
5: Yes. What I was really calling about too was that my um, I have like a. Uh, elevated garden, herb garden. Uh-huh. And they're very, they're producing a lot right now, but I'm afraid if I, I need to know how to prune them and how to how to take out some of that herb leaves, those fresh leaves <laughs> of parsley and thyme without so, killing them.
1: Well, um, the main thing is don't take too much out at any one time because time, especially, time demands you know perfect drainage. And uh, to keep it from staying too wet, plants lose moisture out through their leaves. That's water doesn't go away through evaporation, it goes away through what we call transpiration. And if you take away too many of the leaves at one time, a sensitive plant like thyme or like sage or lavender, uh, you can cause a real problem. So, you, you you harvest as you like, but don't take away more than maybe twenty percent of the leaves at any one time. Uh, okay. To use a very uh, uh, a very bad pun, so to speak, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, just uh, just harvest a little bit at a time. Parsley is not as picky about it; you can pretty much prune as uh, and use as much parsley as you like, but. Parsley, whether it's a flat leaf Italian parsley or the curled parsley, it's a biennial. It lives for about 18 months, and then it flowers and dies. And when it does that, it has nothing to do with how much Amy has harvested from it. It's just that this plant wasn't meant to live forever. Now, you've got perennial herbs like thyme, like oregano, like, uh, oh, golly, rosemary, like Mm -hmm. they're... Mints. All of these things should live for years for you. But plants like parsley are going to be biennials. Plants like uh, basil are going to be annuals. Uh, dill is an annual. Cilantro is an annual. Dill and cilantro are both cool weather plants. They're naturally going to die out when it starts getting hot. Basil should be going up until it freezes this fall. What I always tell people, because everybody loves cilantro as well, I tell them when your cilantro dies, it's time to plant basil. When your basil dies, it's time to plant cilantro.
5: Okay, all right. That's the other um, herbs I have are cilantro and basil, so that's well, pretty good. Well,
1: your, your cilantro is going to give up on you when it gets real hot. Enjoy it while it lasts. Your basil should uh, – the hotter it gets, the more the basil will produce. Depending on the basil variety – it's going to be an annual. There's some like African blue basil that are more cold hardy and live for, you know, many times through the winter. Most important thing on your basil is just pick flowers off. When they start blooming, um, you'll get more leaf production. And if you're making pesto, be sure you don't put the flowers and things in because they make a little black seed that will break your teeth. It's amazing how something so small can feel like a boulder when you bite down on it. But uh, you're off to a good start, Amy. It sounds to me like you're doing it all right.
5: Oh good. Well thank you. The other question I had was those wasp cards that you the pre, previous lady called in on, I can't remember yeah. the name. I didn't get I wasn't near a pen and paper at the time. What were they again? You
1: just ask asked for what we call T, just initial T like Tom T wasps. Everybody'll mm-hmm. know that you want trichogramma and uh T R I C H O G R A M M A if you wanna know how to spell that. But if you just ask for T wasp, any decent nurseryman's gonna tell what you're talking about.
5: Okay all right well very good well thank you so much for all your um, helpful information we do appreciate you
1: well it's my pleasure and i appreciate you guys you have a good sunday and we'll get james on next good morning james
15: good morning bob i got two questions and i think we're short on time so i'll get to the important one for me
1: actually first. we yeah we have we have at least three minutes and i can hold you through the news if we don't get it all but let's get started
15: Okay, well, the, the one that's my biggest concern right now is um, I live in the Lytle area, and we've got a lot, a lot of natural post-oaks, blackjacks. And yes, sir.
3: And
15: at the end of my driveway, I've got a, a post-oak that's about 30 feet high and just as wide, maybe a little bigger. And it's uh-huh. beautiful, and it's done well. And the only time I get disturbed is when I am all around it just a half a dozen times a year with my rider. Sure. Um, but yesterday, when I was going out the driveway, I noticed that I, foot or so off the ground there's uh, some chunks of bark taken out laying on the ground and i got a lot of squirrels so that was my first thought so then i walked around the back side it's got a big chunk out so i'm online reading about this hypoxylon can- canker or whatever That's how does That's how how does the tree look overall oh the tree looks beautiful it's leafed out it's green it's it, it's gorgeous
1: yeah. and is the is the root flare on your tree
15: exposed is the tree broaden out at the base yeah this tree is is native of, like i said and it's interesting the way it grew up it's kind of like on the top of a little berm it's at the high uh-huh. point of a little gill. yeah so um so that's that i think is good i mean it's yeah. attractive that yeah. way well um,
1: and uh but but you can you can actually see the trunk broadening out flaring out oh, as it yeah. gets to the ground level
15: Oh, yes, exactly. I, exactly. I, I doubt,
1: way. yeah, I doubt very much it is hypoxaline. Um, I, you know, it, there, trees naturally shed bark. I mean, you, your bark grows from underneath, and as it grows from underneath, it pushes the old bark outwards. Um, there are other things'll we'll get after the bark, I mean porcupines are bark eaters, and sometimes even the blasted squirrels will go after them but uh uh I it just squirrels, yeah in those trees yeah i I doubt that it's hypoxaline now now post oaks are kind of wimps, they don't like it too wet, they don't like it too dry, and they are not immune to hypoxylon. and you just need to be sure if we get into real hot summer months um that you know, you take good care of it. Put a little cornmeal around it, and you know, go online to Howard Garrett's website, dirtdoctor.com, and look at what he calls a sick tree treatment. I mean, it's health. It's for healthy trees as well. But we're finding that cornmeal, as actually the the trichoderma fungus that grows on the cornmeal, actually controls and cures hypoxylon just the same way it does oak wilt. So that is the other thing that I would tell you about. James, did we cover the things about uh, about your post? Uh, adequately
15: no sir if i could not to belabor it but during the break i grabbed i was in the house i grabbed the tape measure i'm standing right next to the tree Uh and a little further hey my concern is because i just measured about four feet off the ground this tree is exactly two feet in diameter so Uh it's a pretty good sized tree but now i'm looking at the spot that really caught my attention on towards the ground it's got a pretty good chunk and then right above it, it's got like chunk out, but it's like the bark is all all the way removed down to I guess almost getting to like the core of the trunk. Okay. But then it's got it's got little chunks of bark, man, about ten feet off the ground. Where I don't know if it squirrels or what's doing it, but my I guess, my question, if it's not the canker or whatever that is, should I put some kind of pruning paint on these spots here? No, is sir. There a spot? No. No,
1: sir. Pruning paint does not help a tree heal in fact pruning paint slows down healing uh the reason we use pruning paint or any kind of paint is to uh, deter the little insects that could potentially carry the oak wilt disease uh, post oak is not susceptible to oak wilt it's in a different group of oaks so uh pruning paint not really gonna do anything for you there. If it were a fresh wound, sometimes we make, uh, what Howard Garrett calls tree goop, which is a mixture of rock phosphate, maybe a little wood ash and things. But at this point, I would, uh, uh, you know, what you might do, you might take a good picture of it, and when you visit a good nursery sometime, uh, you know let them take a look at it and see if they have any further suggestions but just in case it is the hypoxylon canker you have two ways of treating that you can either you know put out maybe 40 50 pounds of whole ground cornmeal just get it at a feed store out around the drip line or uh, you can take a uh, Probably take about four or five-gallon buckets, put about a cup of cornmeal in with five gallons of water, let it soak overnight, and then just pour that within 10 feet of the trunk. Just pour it over the root area up closer to the trunk because that's where the tree takes up most of its moisture. And uh, the trichoderma that grows on that cornmeal should take care of hypoxylon canker, even if it was hypoxylon, so long as it's not too far advanced. hypoxylon will take care of it, so uh Um, At this point, just keep an eye on it. What you should see is you should see where the bark's been stripped away. Toward the edges of it, you should see sort of a round, smooth, rolled area where the tree actually starts healing, starts forming a callus that will gradually spread over and cover up that open area. What may have happened... um, uh Sometimes a tree will get wounded, as it were. We see it when somebody bumps against it with something. We also see it, uh you know, a big tree like that. Lightning strike is a, you know, big potential, especially if the bark's coming off on one side of the tree. I was walking around my own ranch. Uh, this was last year or year before. And I was walking down toward my lake, and all of a sudden, I started seeing just a line of bark on the ground, and I looked over to the left at an escarpment cherry. This tree is probably 15 inches in diameter, and you could see all the way, about 15 feet off the ground, where the bark was blown off one side of the tree, all the way down to within about six inches of the ground, where the electricity jumped out and into the ground. And uh uh, sometimes, uh, you know, a lightning strike will do that So there there are a lot of different potential problems And if it's all on one side of the tree A lightning strike is uh, is always a possibility
15: Okay, it's not on one side But I will do the tea okay. um, A whole ground cornmeal, five-gallon bucket uh, A cup of tea Yeah, one, uh, to, one to
1: two cups of cornmeal Soak it overnight And then just dump that water around the tree
15: Okay, I'll do that Since I've taken up time I, I, I'll let somebody else have my second question
1: well, you're mighty kind, and uh, call me back, let me know how things go, but if the if the rest of the tree looks healthy, it does not sound to me like that tree's in serious trouble, so uh, do your part, and hopefully the tree will do its same, and keep me posted on how it does, James. Look forward to hearing from thank, you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right, next up is Donna, back on line number one. Good morning, Donna. Hi, Bob.
16: I have a question. I That's am what so I'm here tired, for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired of using a machete, a pitchfork, uh-huh. and clippers. On, and I've successfully cleared about 200,000 uh, 200, uh, square feet of bamboo. Okay. Is there another organic way of getting rid of it? They're underneath a lot of natural live oak and post oak. Okay.
1: Here is the thing about bamboo. Bamboo is basically a big grass, and uh-huh. it it may have deep roots, but – the rhizome that those blasted canes come up from is no more than about an inch under the surface of the ground. And, right. the, and and see, we can't use anything too toxic or we would hurt the trees. And what the way that you can get rid of it, and I, this is still a lot of work, but if you're just cutting it off with a machete or just pruning it off, it's just going to come back over and over no, and over.
16: No, I've been using a pitchfork as well. Well, Uh, I'm pitchforking it up, and it's got, you know, anywhere from six inches down, and they're big old veins with these little runners off of them. Yeah. And it's taken me about two and a half years, and I was wondering how other organic way was there besides the pitchfork?
1: Well, what what I use is a grub and hoe. And, you know, that as long as you – you know, there's a flat part of it, and then there are the big old thick roots and things that go down. All you have to do is chop underneath the flat part of it, and I would do – as much, and well, I'd find somebody else to do as much of it as possible, but anything that regrows, spray it down with that orange oil and vinegar mix, uh, get 20% okay. vinegar, get the really strong vinegar, and it will not harm your oak trees. That's a nice thing about it, because you're not soaking the soil, you're just spraying the leaves, and it will kill, but I don't want you to have to spray 10 feet up in the air to try to hit all the leaves. <laughs> uh, you know, I want you to grub it out as best you can from that area, and then anything comes back, spray it. You may have to spray a second time, but uh, uh, short of moving, that's the only way you're going to escape that menace.
16: <laughs> well, I've been getting my good exercise. <laughs>
1: well, it sounds like you're a lady that uh, that enjoys being outside, and, and uh, it just, you know, if you do it for more than about 30 minutes At a time, it it stops being exercise And starts being work. So uh, spread it out Do it over time, but try to get the big stuff down Try to cut underneath that lateral runner And then you're always going to have A few little sprouts come up And that orange oil and vinegar will kill them back Just overnight And if you ever, ever plant bamboo again Get what we call the clumping varieties Instead of that running or spreading variety Because there's some real nice bamboos Out there that never try to take over the world but uh uh you've got the kind that people seriously do <laughs> sometimes I, I know a guy in bernie as a matter of fact that uh was moving to get away from it so uh we don't want to have to go to that far
16: no this was my brother-in-law about 20 years ago he's the one that planted it and and uh we have the land now and i've been getting rid of it
1: (laughs) yeah well if you're very much if your brother-in-law is still around you ought to make him come back and do that
16: (laughs) no i wished he was (laughs) yeah but anyway thank you so very much for your help and time
1: it's always a pleasure donna i appreciate the call this morning you have a good sunday thank you so much all right ken is up next and then it will be et good morning ken Good morning, Bob.
2: Morning. Uh, my par- good morning. My parents sent me a picture of uh, a caterpillar or a group of caterpillars they found on their oak tree. They were clustered together. They were about three inches long, and they clustered in an area maybe uh, eight by twelve inch, almost a square uh, foot mm-hmm. of, of caterpillars all together. They're hairy. They have spikes right. on them. Um, they they have. They think they stripped the oak leaves last year. I've yeah. seen a couple of them around my house here in San Antonio, and I think they even sting. Uh, they've been told they were called tent caterpillars. Is this? Do you know anything about this?
1: I know a lot about them, and they don't sting. Oh. Uh, okay. There's a totally different caterpillar called a puss caterpillar or an asp, and they look like uh, they have very short... Uh, kind of i won 't really call it hair, but it's like somebody took and combed it, and they 've got little spines filled with a toxin underneath that and If you touch them, they kind of rear up and jab these little spines in you, and it becomes very, very painful, so you don't want to deal with those things, but that's not what you're looking at you're looking at. Um, uh, they, they go by a lot of different names. And had you put out the Trichogramma Wasp about six weeks ago, you would not be seeing any of these guys. Since you have them on the trunk, where they are clustered on the trunk, I would get a little bit of SpinoSad, S-P-I-N-O-S-A-D. You can either buy straight spinosad, it'll have a weird name like Captain Jack Deadbug or something like that, or you can get the spinosad soap and it will kill the caterpillars on contact. I don't recommend trying to spray the whole tree. I just hate spraying anything way up into the tree, but at this point where they're just clustered on the trunk, you know, one little 2 minutes of spraying will kill most all the caterpillars and the, the These are not the guys that just totally strip all the leaves off the tree. Those are different caterpillar, and they go by names uh, like a gall worm or a leaf roller. Those guys show up in February. We also use the trichogramma to uh, get rid of them. The guys you're seeing now are a nuisance, but they're not going to strip all the leaves off your tree. So anything you can reach, I would spray it with the spinosad. I wouldn't worry about anything else. And I would put it on your 2021 calendar to put out some little trichogramma water in January, and you'll probably never have the problem again.
2: What are the name of those caterpillars? Are they called tent caterpillars?
1: Yeah, tent caterpillar is one common name for them, but then people confuse them with a webworm, which is a slightly different caterpillar. The other names that they go by I would not be allowed to say on the air. <laughs> <laughs> the F- FCC would want to would do bad things to me, so tent caterpillar is a name everybody will know what you're talking about.
2: Do you know why they cluster together like that?
15: Mm.
1: no i really don't it may you know caterpillars don't mate so to speak that's what the moths do and then the result is the caterpillars uh i suspect is just some sort of instinctive thing but uh they're they're a real nuisance but uh they're they're not especially uh, they're just obnoxious they're not going to hurt you at all uh they as an old aunt of mine used to say they're dangerous because they may scare me half to death but uh uh they're 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 not a serious problem, a little bit of spinosad which is a safe natural insecticide is going to take care of them but it's just uh it's, I guess you just call it a communal behavior they probably don't know how they why they do it, but it's uh just something ingrained in their genetics that tells them that's what they ought to do
2: well, I appreciate
1: the information, Bob. you have a great day. You know, it's always a pleasure. I appreciate the call, Ken. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. All right, uh let's see here. I believe that E. T. is next. Uh let's uh let's bring up E. T. on line number four. Good morning, E.T. Morning Bob. How are you today? Uh, it's just a nice day and I'm I'm not out in it, but I'm sitting out here I'm looking out at it, so uh I'm enjoying it. Hope your day's off to a good start as well. Oh, about too bad little chill I fired up that chimney again, so, <laughs> yeah, I was wishing for a hot tub last night. Let me tell you, it would have been the kind of night that it sure would be sure would be fun to hop into something like that, but chimney is pretty pretty darn good, and the fire pit's not bad either. It's just uh that's the that's the one thing about cooler, cold weather is a fireplace of any sort is sure nice,
2: okay my question is Nemo I was talking about with that lady earlier and yeah. i've got a bottle of unopened nemo would that still be good
1: uh as long as it has not gotten super hot if it's been you know out somewhere where it got to 110 degrees no probably not but if it's been uh, kept at room it's temperature been under, it's been sitting under the sink so yeah no it's it's good uh unopened it's good for at least a couple of years
2: okay i got my question is uh plants and containers uh, What's the mineral size say for like a garlic or a pepper plant or a tomato plant?
1: Okay, well we're talking three different things. Um garlic, I mean you could grow you could grow garlic in a six inch pot, although if I were gonna grow garlic, I'd get like a ten inch pot and put about five or six uh uh, you know, plants in a pot that size. Peppers, you could grow probably smallest pot I'd consider would be maybe a 12 inch pot. Uh, and I'd probably put like three plants to the pot on most peppers. Now, if you grow in the Anchos, if you grow on the Poblanos, those things are going to grow five, six feet tall and you just put one plant in a pot and you probably have to put a cage around it tomatoes it kind of depends on the variety of tomato you could grow a little patio tomato in a 10 inch pot uh on the other hand if you were going to grow a sun gold or a celebrity you need something the size of a whiskey barrel so you kind of have to match you know the variety of the plant not just the type of the plant because they're little tomatoes and big tomatoes they're little pepper plants and they're big pepper plants so um and it it really depends on what you're planting. You know, like a shishito pepper, you can do fine with that in a ten inch pot. But like I say, if you're growing on a, a big old poblano or something, you almost need something as big as a whiskey barrel to grow it.
14: Yeah, because
2: most most of the containers I have are you know 12 inches across to 14 inches across, so and about yep. the same
1: deep. Yeah, that would be plenty big. You know, you plant quite a cluster of garlic and something like that. You could plant. Uh, you could plant jalapenos, you could plant serranos, you could plant bell peppers or banana peppers in a twelve inch pot, but there are bigger peppers that it wouldn't be big enough for. I would stick mainly to what they call the determinate tomato varieties because they don't make as big a plant. They don't give quite as long a yielding season, but uh I would stick with determinate tomatoes in pots that size. If I we're gonna grow ind- indeterminants, indeterminates, it'd need to be size of a whiskey barrel or a molasses tub.
2: Okay, and uh, one last question, like store-bought vegetables, like um, tomatoes, you know, or peppers, are them seeds viable or are them seeds
1: been uh, sterilized? Well, the seeds haven't been sterilized, but here's the thing, and um, there's no guarantee on most of our hybrid plants that they're going to come back like the parents. Uh, I mean, you know, they... um, they they may be a lot of these varieties are made by crossing two entirely different plants and you get some real mixed up genetics uh you might plant the seed from a big tomato and it would come back as cherry tomato or you might plant the seed from a cherry tomato and it come back as a big tomato uh if you know given what we call the heirloom varieties now those things i've been line bred for many many years and the seed on those things will come true and come back very much like the parent plant but the stuff you're getting at the grocery store um there's just no guarantee on it 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 may come back as almost anything it might be similar to the tomato or pepper or whatever that you started with or it might be something totally different. So uh, if you like surprises, (laughs) plant the seed from the grocery store because you never know what you're going to get. It's probably going to be good but it's sure no guarantee it's going to look like it did when it came from the grocery store.
2: Yeah, okay. Well, like I've been cutting up tomatoes but I've just stick them in a pot of dirt, you know, so hopefully hopefully they might come through or might
1: not come through. So Okay, Bob, thank you very much. You know, it's my pleasure. I appreciate the call.
9: Thank you. Hey, goodbye.
1: Josh is up first. Good morning, sir.
9: Uh, yes, sir. Uh I had a question and I wanted to maybe do a shout out. Um I just moved into an apartment and want to see what kind of uh vegetables we can grow in there. It faces the north side our our uh, balcony does.
1: Oh boy, that's that's a little tough because north side is not gonna have much sun in the summer months. Um, you could probably <clears throat> you could probably grow a leafy plant like Swiss chard. you could probably do fairly well with the uh, sweet peppers, but that's just not going to be enough light for squash or tomatoes or cucumbers.
9: what about like serrano or stuff
1: like that? You can give it a try. The hot peppers, in my experience, take a little bit more light than the sweet peppers do but you know, if you're only going to spend a couple of bucks on a serrano plant, so give it a try. One thing you might do just to give it the maximum amount of light possible, grow it in a hanging basket instead of putting it in a pot, because if you put it in a pot, it's going to be blocked by the railing on your balcony, and uh, that's going to mean it's going to get even less light. But uh, a serrano will grow very well in, you know, 10 or 12-inch hanging basket, and that's what I would try doing and just, you know, get it up in the absolute sunniest spots you possibly can.
9: All right. And if you don't mind, I I, uh, I run a local sawmill where we reclaim trees out of the city. Uh, They've yeah. fallen. We don't take down trees. Yeah. Um, but I thought it might be of some interest to your listeners. Um, uh, it, it's called Greenwood Milling. It's over on the okay. east side by the Big Red Bottling Plants. And, and so uh, i always... Uh, our mission is uh, reclaiming trees, uh, fallen trees out of the San Antonio city. We get stuff from the zoo and, and all over San Antonio, um, and yeah. we mill it, kill and dry it, and we have it available for hobbyists and and whatnot to make furniture or, or stuff like that. And you know the big thing's epoxy right now, or epoxy tables. So we do that kind of sure. stuff too for people. So
1: and um, so people, you know, do you have a website that people go and read about you?
9: Sure, it's uh called it's milling dot com, green like the color and yeah, wood, of yeah. course, like a tree. And uh, and on your site, you've
1: got uh, all the information of what what type of trees and how people would contact you and all the information
9: for you. Yes, yeah, sir, sure, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we uh, you know, we're pretty full on live oak and pecan at the moment, but you know, we're we're pretty open <laughs> to people calling us on just about everything else. You know, um, yeah. Or probably you look say at, is you know no we can't take it at the moment but you know so um,
1: yeah things like mesquite and things like that that make such pretty wood yeah Josh, I'm always always glad to hear about somebody doing something good rather than just turning it into chips so I appreciate you appreciate you letting us knowing it letting us know about it so
9: yeah, yeah we, anyway we well we have, oh sorry yeah we have customers that, that bring us trees and. Been in the family for years and want stuff made out of it. So we do that too. Uh, Thanks, fine. There. Good morning, James.
1: Good morning, sir. How are you doing? I'm good, sir. How about yourself this morning? Well, oh, I'm just loving all this rain. <laughs> well, some of us didn't get as much as others, but uh, every drop of rain counts. And uh, I'm just really happy for those people that got multiple inches of rain because Lord knows we need it. Right.
2: I was down in my last bale of hay and I. I sure was reading what I'm going to do with them.
1: <laughs> well, and, how can I help you this morning?
2: Yes, sir. I, I bought an avocado tree from uh, Panics, and I want to make sure I do the right thing with it. It we uh, it got some new sprouts on it, but they got little round holes in those leaves. You got any? Uh-huh. Idea with-
1: It's probably a little caterpillar. It's not serious, but uh, it's just what I'd I'd just say is a real nuisance. Uh, The thing you have to remember, and Fanix has, uh, you know, they have good avocado varieties, but... um, even the so-called cold-hardy avocados, they're not cold-hardy for the first year or two. Uh I'm sure yours has pretty slick bark on it. Once that bark starts getting woody, start looking more like an oak tree than an avocado, then they will have acquired their full hardiness. But um main thing you need to do with that is just be sure if we have a cold winter the next near year or two, it may need some protection. But beyond that, just... uh you know, good sunny spot, water thoroughly when it's dry an inch or two deep, and uh, if you if you feel like you've got enough of an issue that you really need to spray for those little holes, then spin a sad, or spin a sad soap is what I would use. It's a Totally, totally natural uh, material, totally safe for the trees, safe for you, safe for the pets. So spinosad or spinosad soap, But I'd watch it. If you just have a few leaves with holes, I wouldn't worry about it. If it gets to be a problem, spray it. And uh, beyond that, just water it, fertilize it. And first thing you know, you'll be making guacamole every day.
2: Oh, that's wonderful. Well, it's got some. When I bought it, about the two-thirds of the bottom didn't have any leaves on them or anything. But now they're right. starting to come out. Should I leave those alone?
1: If it's down right at the bottom, you probably should cut it off because uh, because those avocados are grafted. So if you can see a graft point on it, you cut off everything below that point. Just to be on the safe side, I'd probably take off anything that's on the lower two inches or so of the stem. But uh, beyond that, it's up to you. If you want to make a tree out of it, uh, you'll take off most of the lower growth. You're going to get more production from an avocado bush than you're going to get from an avocado tree. So uh, uh, just, just take off the really low stuff, and then beyond that, it's just strictly up to you.
2: Okay, sir. One other question right quick about uh, i got I got a little garden, and i got – I always got these worms that fall off the oak trees, the little green yes, sir. and black ones. Right. When they fall, they're green. But, I mean, last year I even had them up into the summer eating all my leaves. <laughs> on the, what can I do with them nasty things?
1: Well, next year, along about the end of January or early February, I want you to go to a good nursery and get... Uh, uh what we call the trichogramma wasp or if you just ask for tea wasps. It's gonna be a little paper card that kinda looks like sandpaper, and what is on that card are several thousand Little tiny moth eggs, and inside each one of those eggs, there's a larvae for this little tiny wasp. This wasp is, oh, s- size of the head of a pen at the very most. They don't sting, but what they do is they go search out and destroy the eggs of those caterpillars before they ever hatch. They actually lay their own egg into that caterpillar egg, and uh you put out those uh, little Trichogramma wasp and that little card cost you 7 or 8 bucks but it's got about 3 or 4000 little developing wasps on it you put them out in uh late January early February you'll never see those uh leaf rolling caterpillars again because they destroy the eggs before they ever get started
2: okay what about the worms this year that are on, are going to come this year can i put that spinofad
1: on them if you yes where you see the worms i just don't like spraying anything way up in the air cuz then we get it on things we didn't intend to but, uh, yeah, if you see them clustered on the tree or, you know, they kind of hang down with those silk threads and where you can, the best thing to put on them is your foot. But if you have right. clusters of them around, that, uh, that spin a saddle sure take care of them in a hurry.
2: That's what I normally do. I take them off with my fingers
1: and squish them,
2: but, they, I mean, <laughs> they, can, they can grow the size of your thumb
13: overnight.
1: Oh, I know, I know. I used to have a girl that worked for me a long time ago, and that's what she'd do, and then she'd always say, okay, he won't have the guts to do that again. And uh, <laughs> but Now, next year you get your little trick of grandma wasp out early, and you'll never have to deal with them.
2: All right, sir. Thank you very much.
1: It's my pleasure, James. Thank you for the call this morning. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay, let's talk to uh, Cindy, line number three, I believe. Good morning, Cindy.
17: Hey, good morning, Bob.
1: Well, good morning. How are um, you today? Fine.
17: Good. How are you?
1: Just fantastic.
17: I, yeah, I figured You're you're always good. Um, <laughs> I I started out with two questions, and while I was on hold, I came up with a third. So I'll try. That's to all see. right. Yeah. Okay. Um, about four weeks ago, we pruned our out yeah, out front. It's a a, a double um, lavender. It's really a beautiful. And I took some cuttings and I put them in, in uh, a gallon pot, and they're all green, We're putting out green leaves and everything. And so I was just wondering, how, where do I go from here? How do I know when they're completely rooted and ready to either be repotted or go in the ground or?
1: Yeah, did you did you put these in your greenhouse on a propagating mat?
17: Uh, no, I did it. But they okay. have all all rooted when we had the good uh, warm weather. Sure. I mean, not rooted, okay. but they put out,
1: out leaves. Well, see, that's the problem because a lot of times they will put out leaves, sometimes even flowers, before they have roots on them, and um, okay. so it's just that that propagating mat just really is kind of insurance that you get some roots started you know you may you may be doing fine with them and what i the only way that i know to really tell is just periodically just go kind of lift up gently on your cutting and when it feels like it's anchored in there then, uh, you've almost certainly got some roots started. And once the roots have started, you don't have to wait for the roots to get big. But once those roots sprout and start to grow, then you might as well go ahead and, you know, pot them up in some, uh, potting soil and, uh, and just let them grow on out. But a lot of times those cuttings are going to put out a lot of leaves before they put out the first root. And you simply can't take them out of the perlite until they've actually got some roots started.
17: Okay. Well, I can, um, Put them in the greenhouse on the propagating mat. That's not a problem.
1: Well, check and see. Go out and lift now. up on them and see if they've got any roots started. If they don't, then I'd move them in on the propagating mat. If they've got roots started, then you can go ahead and pot them up any time.
17: Okay. Yeah, my intentions are to give them away to people. And so yeah. Um, after I, I get them going and everything, then I'll, I'll put them you know, in, in individual pots for them. Is, sure. Is, uh, can they just go ahead immediately and put them in the ground? Or should they wait for a while me, after
1: I and them? tell me tell me once again, uh you cut out early. You said a double purple. What kind of plant is it?
17: Yeah.
1: An Althea. An Althea, okay. Um yeah. I you know, Altheas doing you know they're they're just absolutely gorgeous plants, but I would want them to be well rooted and once they're well rooted, yes, they can go into the ground I mean they're cold hardy down you know my mom had them in her yard in East Tennessee, where it got ten degrees below zero and uh so I'm not really worried about the cold. The heat will be an issue until they get some good roots established, so I would you know, once your cuttings are rooted, I'd put them into maybe like a five-inch pot, and then once they have rooted through that pot, they'll be ready to go into the ground.
10: Okay.
17: Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, because uh, it's gorgeous, and, you know, I just was doing it as an experiment. If they make it, they make it. If they don't, it's okay. Oh, sure. So, sure. Nothing to lose.
1: And the one so, other not- thing, as you, as you give them away to your friends, suggest that when they plant them, they do a, do a good drench. Make your cornmeal tea, so to speak, uh, like we talk about with just you a know, bit of cornmeal. That if you're doing a gallon of water, you probably use about two tablespoons. But the one problem that altheas can have, they are in, related to cotton, and so they are susceptible to cottony root rot. We don't see a lot of it but that's the one issue that that particular shrub can have. So whenever you put out an althea, I'd, I'd give it a good cornmeal water soak uh, just to get it off to a real good start.
17: Okay, I'll pass that information on. <clears> okay, <throat> my second question is on how you can take orange rinds and make your own orange oil or, or drench, so to speak, to uh, on ants. Can you do the same with lemon with the lemon lines yeah
1: yeah it's uh it's of course you know it's it's not the juice it's uh what is squeezed squeezed out of the peel, and you've got to have a pretty powerful press. Uh, to get that, to get that, it's called the limonene. Is what it, it actually comes out of the peel, and any kind of citrus is fine. But it's it's not the juicy part. It's not the not the stuff that you would be drinking. It actually is what comes out of the peel of the orange or the lemon or the grapefruit, not what is actually coming from the uh, meaty part inside.
17: Yeah, well, I uh, I saw online on the Master Gardener page. Somebody was using their own orange rinds. Well, I have more lemon rinds, and so I was just uh-huh. wondering about the substitute. So,
1: uh, it, Yeah, it, you can use a substitute, just, substitute just fine.
17: Yeah, uh-huh. they just put it in the blender with some water and ground it up, and then they use that as a drench for, on an ant bed.
12: So well, I thought, well, and I got more if, it,
17: than
1: I <laughs> if it works, you know, give it a try and let me know how it works. I know Howard Garrett did kind of the same thing, working with uh, some growers down in Mexico, and uh, they there was an orange production facility on one side of the field and an aloe vera production facility on the other side of the hill and they had problems with root knot nematodes and howard got them to basically shred up the uh, peels and things put them in the ground and it actually got rid of the root knot nematodes so it's not going to be as fast or as sure as actually buying the orange oil itself but hey if it works uh, go for it yeah i'd sure give it a try and uh, and let me know how it works for you guys
17: Okay, I will. And the last question I'm sitting here looking at, we've got um, a row, there's four Japanese ewes,
10: uh-huh. and
17: it looks like one of them has some yellowing on the lower leaves. Can you tell me what might be a problem, or what, how do I fix it?
1: If it's on the lower leaves, I suspect it got a little too dry at some point. If it's on the upper leaves, I would suspect a nutrient deficiency, but yellowing on the lower leaves is usually a water issue. And for whatever reason, that particular one probably just doesn't have quite as good a root system, or maybe that end of the line is, has gotten a little dry at some point. Um, I would, you know, I'd, I'd probably fertilize just to be on the safe side. And of course, on, on Japanese yew, just like you do on trees, me sure that root flare is exposed down at the base, but I don't think it's a serious issue. I would just uh, wash your water real carefully and just a little good Medina or whatever fertilizer you use, it should grow out of it pretty quickly.
17: Okay. All right. We'll do it. It's always the last one that's right next to a yopon Holly. So.
1: And that's you know, uh, when it's. It yeah. When it's at the end of the row, that's where I most often see a water issue.
17: Okay. All righty. Okay. Well, that was all my questions.
1: Well, you guys have a great weekend, and I'll look forward to visiting again. Thank you so much. Good morning, Janie.
8: Good morning, Bob. It's me again. (laughs) I'm always happy to hear
1: from you. You always ask good questions.
8: Well, this is a real crazy question. I've got a rose bush, and then I put another rose bush right next to it without even thinking and the other one is not a rose bush it's the other one is and i'm trying to think of how to dig it out the one that's not a rose bush and move it somewhere else can i do it
1: how close is it to your rose bush
8: it's too close
1: i mean is it a foot is it 18 inches is it two Uh, inches
8: about uh oh about a foot and a half
1: oh yeah you can dig it out that I, I would go ahead and do it before it gets any later in the year, before it gets any hotter. But if you're, if you're 18 inches away from uh, your bush, Shani, you're not going to hurt it at all by digging this other one out. But uh, do go ahead and get it done.
8: Okay. Now, I've got a, a tangerine tree uh, bush, but it uh-huh. has not gave me any flowers. Is there something wrong? It's not that I don't feed it. I feed it a lot. I water it a lot, but I just don't know what's going on
1: is it one you bought or is it one you grew from a seed
8: no no i bought this one
1: okay and it's so it's it's probably a grafted variety is it getting full sun
8: yes full sun it's about over seven years old
1: oh wow well even a seed should be uh should be starting to produce by then um Get out your pruning shears and threaten it. Tell it you're going to cut it off at ground level if it doesn't start producing. By that age, I mean, if it's getting good bright sunlight um, and fertilizer, there's absolutely no reason um, that it should not be producing by now. It's uh, seven years. Even a seed should be starting to produce. So, I mean, if it's not just the blazing all-day sun, you know, move it out there. Let it get a – is it in the ground or is it in a pot?
8: No, no, it's in the ground. And okay. uh, it, it's been giving me uh, tangerines, but it just – last year it was not – it gave me tangerines, but the skin was not puff up. It was right close to it like a regular orange. So huh. that's the first time that it, that it did that. So I said, oh, boy. I,
1: Yeah, no, I think that was just, you know, we had a wet spring and a super dry summer. I think that was just a moisture issue on that. But uh, um, as long as it's getting good sun, I would let it get until it starts making little tangerines. Keep it a little bit on the dry side because sometimes being a little stressed makes a plant bloom much, much better. But after it starts uh, setting the tangerines, then you want to be sure to water it real regularly. But at at this point, I think I'd I'd pretty much cut the water way back on it, stress it a little bit, and if anything's going to make it bloom in spring, that should do it.
8: Okay, now I've got this uh, orchid tree. I've been trying to find some seeds in the pots, but there's no seeds in there. When does it usually? No.
1: Now, uh, the only one that makes much seed is the white one, the one they call the anacacho, and uh, it makes a little seed pod, but I've, I've never seen those big old purple ones uh, make uh, seed. They're almost always propagated by cuttings.
8: Well, now, this one was sent to me, and I got four seeds from this, from uh, a relative. So that's how I got this plant. So I'm, I see all the pods, and I keep peeling, see if I feel a seed or something
10: well I don't it
1: it may need to be cross pollinated by another orchid tree to make seed um uh so yeah, you're doing the right things. keep feeling those pods and see if they make seed but uh uh it may be it you know it some plants just have to have two uh they they self pollinate oh, wow. but then they don't make seeds, so it may just need a boyfriend or a girlfriend
8: well. Okay then, uh, like I said, that that was grown from a seed, not yeah. not from a plant or anything. It was from a seed.
1: Well, so. then yours okay. should. Uh, but you know, if you know anybody else that has one when it's in bloom, get some of the pollen from it and put that on the flowers of yours, and that should uh, that should help it make mm-hmm. seed. Now you can make more. You know, from cuttings, if you like, in the meantime. But if you want to get seed, you have to have good pollination. And it sounds like your variety just needs cross-pollination. It needs a second tree somewhere nearby so that it can be fertilized to make the seed.
8: So I can cut up uh from what? From the top of the lens or how?
1: actually, uh, during the warm weather, the best thing to do would be what we call an air layer, where you split a little bit of the bark off and then wrap sphagnum moss around it, wrap it up with uh, aluminum foil or plastic wrap, and uh-huh. uh, then it just it starts rooting out into that wet sphagnum moss. And uh, in the summer months, you do that, you leave it about six weeks, and then you can cut that limb off, peel the foil away, and you've sort of got a pre-rooted cutting, and it works 100% of the time.
8: Okay, I'll do that. Well, you have a good day, okay?
1: You do the same, Jane. It's always good to hear from you. Thank All you. Right. Bye bye. Goodbye. All right, let's finish up with Margaret. Good morning, Margaret.
4: Good morning. Thank you. Last minute.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Last three minutes, so to speak. How can I help you?
4: Okay, quickly. Um, my Swiss it's its probably been growing for three years or so, and. Uh-huh. The stalks are nice and tall and firm. On the leaves, uh-huh. but then some of the outer ones, they're limp and they're getting brown spots on the leaves, and then they you just need... turn brown and Go yeah.
1: Ahead. Um, pick the newer leaves before they get to that point, and plant some new mm-hmm. plants. Uh, you know, those, those stems are probably, you know, an inch in diameter by now. And they just get to the point, they get their own form of senility, so to speak. We call it senescence. And, uh, yeah, my Swiss charge usually lasts for three years, and then it starts doing what you talk about. I know it's time to just pull it up and plant some fresh. I think they've just uh-huh. about just done their thing. You can harvest the newer leaves before. You'll have to pick them smaller because if you try to let them get to that fully mature size, they just don't do as well. But uh, uh, if you've had it growing for three years, you've done very well with it. But it's really, and you can plant it right now. It's still plenty of time to get a a crop planted for okay. this summer. But uh, you just need okay. some fresh plants.
4: Well, the new growth that's coming from the center that looks perfectly yeah. fine. You're just saying right. they're not old enough yet to yeah. to show that effect. Okay. Well,
1: it's
8: not a it, fungus or anything.
1: No, it's just it's deterioration of the roots. The new growth is new growth, but those roots are three years old, and they just aren't able to support the new growth the way they once did.
12: Okay. Okay, makes sense. I'll plant some new. (laughs)
1: Plant some new and enjoy. Hey, I appreciate the call.
12: Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank
1: you. Appreciate it, Margaret. Goodbye.